Welcome to Trading Card Therapy, our very first episode. I'm your host, the Doctor's in, Leighton Sheldon. Thanks for joining us. This is going to be a podcast that's going to run about 30 minutes every week. You'll be able to find us 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, generally when it's not our first episode. Um, so thanks for tuning in today. We're going to talk about all things card-related, sports, non-sports, and other for those who are listening to this podcast for the first time that maybe don't know me and aren't familiar with me from either Just Collect or Vintage Breaks or just being in the hobby for a long time, that is our sponsors of the show today. Uh, you can check both of those companies out on the web. I've been in this hobby, the hobby referring to baseball cards, football cards, basketball cards, hockey, so on and so forth, and then have always dealt with like the Batman cards, Superman cards, but you know, vintage stuff, generally not uh, much of the modern uh, sector of cards um, for a variety of reasons. The main reason being is that when I dealt with modern cards as a kid, I think it cost me a lot of money. I did have a lot of fun, but ultimately all of my hard work shoveling driveways and raking leaves and working at Roy Rogers and all that stuff, by the way, is not only true, meaning I worked at those places, but I also did not have much to show for it when all was said and done because I was prospecting on the Todd Van Poppels of the world. And even though Ken Griffey Jr. was a generational player, for every Ken Griffey Jr., there's lots of folks who never make it. So getting back to center, um, I started, like many of you folks, as a young collector, but also a very, very avid fan of baseball, the sport itself, meaning to watch it as well as to play it. And I, like many of you out there, thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. In fact, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player for a long time when I was a kid. And then I realized as you played, you know, other people uh, in surrounding areas, meaning an all-star game or the World Series or whatever the case may be, travel, you get humbled very quickly as to where your skill set, you know, lands. And so as a kid in the trading card world, I was always interested. I bought a lot of my packs of cards from a combination of Soda King, Lori and Me, and Wawa, which are all places in the vicinity of Manalpa, New Jersey. Before I was living in Manalpin, uh, I was living in Sayreville, New Jersey, but we moved out of there when I was in third grade. And before that, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, Mamadi's Hospital, uh, and that's where my parents were born as well. Um, but we did not live in Brooklyn very long, as I'm the oldest of four. We moved out to Sayreville, New Jersey, you know, when I was about a year, year and a half old. For those of you who are not familiar with our format, this is going to be our first show. We're going to do it live every week. If you'd like to check us out on youtube.com slash justcollect. But we're also going to have an audio version only that um, Ken from our office here at Vintage Breaks is going to polish up, edit, and we'll be live every Friday with that audio drop of the new Trading Card Therapy show. I was able to split a booth of, I guess, it was 35 bucks uh, three ways when approximately I was 12 years old. Um, I think the card show was held at Temple Shariemuth. Um, I believe I split the I split the table with Ken Reed and Mark Piron. So if you're listening, uh, you're now your your name will forever be associated with Leighton Sheldon Trading Card Therapy. I'll tag you guys. Um, you'll have to tell me if I was right, but I think I nailed it. Um, so anyway, I took that journey from there, and you know, really just became hooked. Uh, I went to as many conventions as I could, as many card shops. If my parents went antiquing in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where they often did, or Amish country, um, I would try to find the baseball card shops that were all around. And what's really funny is I don't ever remember actually buying a lot because at that point I didn't have a lot of money, but boy, I really enjoyed looking um, and really, you know, dreamt about one day of finding, you know, really cool Babe Ruth cards and, and you know, being able to have some for myself and of course, maybe even buying and selling them. Um, and so fast forward from that very first uh, convention that I set up at, you know, I collected cards, I bought and sold 
cards throughout high school and then ultimately college. Met someone or crossed paths with someone by the name of Mark Murphy, the baseball card kid, who really preceded uh, Steve Hart, the baseball card exchange, who is, you know, the biggest unopened outfit in the world today. Um, Mark Murphy kind of preceded Steve Hart's um, early days as, you know, the baseball card kid, as he coined himself back in the day. I sold cards to Mark Murphy through the mail when I was about 15 or 16 years old. Fast forward on this journey of buying and selling and, you know, taking all of my money from the various jobs. And I was going to college at Rutgers University uh, here in New Jersey. And as I was approaching graduation, I graduated in 2000. Uh, so you can, of course, date me from that. I really wanted to do something I was passionate about, realized that it was unlikely to go play professional baseball or basketball for that matter. Um, even though I thought I was better at baseball, neither mattered because uh, it wasn't good enough, but enjoyed the ride. And so when I graduated in 2000, you know, I remember being in a household of uh, my brother and my two sisters and my parents and, you know, quite candidly seeing my parents, whether it be get laid off or fired in a variety of different, you know, times when growing up, I didn't realize it at the time, but it really if you will, was like that that first ignition of, hey, I think I'm going to work for myself and try to be in control of my destiny. That being said, I worked at Johnson & Johnson at Rutgers College for nearly two and a half years as a financial analyst and, you know, really enjoyed my time there. But when I graduated college, I did not think I was going to be passionate about the field of medical sales or being a financial analyst for Johnson & Johnson corporate. I just didn't think that was for me. And so I did take a little bit of a chance, if you will, um, because I had a degree uh, from Rutgers College Business uh, School with a degree in management. And because I had no debt, i.e. buying and selling cards and, and working my way through school at Johnson & Johnson and other uh, odd jobs, like for example, uh, freshman year, I worked for the Rutgers gymnastics team and it was great. You would set up the equipment and you would get paid for the hour, but if you did it in 40 minutes, you got paid for the hour. You'd have to be there later on to break down the equipment. Same thing. If you broke it down 35 minutes, you still get paid for the hour. That was Rutgers University uh, in a nutshell for you. Sometimes you can make it work for you and other times not. Uh, we'll talk about that in a different episode. I really wanted to uh, do something I was passionate about and enjoy. At the same time, of course, get the hell out of my parents' house and live on my own. But like many of us who are at that age, I was worried. I was worried mainly I remember two things about um, having a job I didn't like and then getting paid a bunch of money, i.e., you know, fifty dollars or $60,000, which is what Deloitte and & Touche and those types of uh, on-campus, you know, companies that were doing the recruiting at Rutgers were paying for someone, you know, who wanted to do business consulting and all that stuff really sounded great and they made you feel real special. And I just didn't feel it, you know, and I know uh, for those of you who are listening in the audio, don't see me pointing to my heart, but I didn't feel it there. And I just didn't want to take a, a, a journey, whether it be for years or even longer decades in a space where spaces that... I wasn't going to be excited to get up in the morning about, and that's you know that's how I started my my journey of taking this, if you will, this 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 childhood passion, even a childhood escape. Right, we all had things we did as a child, like we held on to our binky, or you know we uh, had a doll, or we had a favorite blanket. Well, for me, it was baseball cards, man. I would disappear to my parents' basement, and I had Frank Thomas and Ken Griffey Jr. and not much Mickey Mantle and Clemente back then to keep me company because I couldn't afford them, and I didn't realize. You could even um, have cards like that. I thought that they didn't uh, actually make them or they were too expensive, whatever the case may be. And so in terms of my first job, this is why I mentioned Mark Murphy, the baseball card kid. I was able to work out a, uh, a deal, if you will, but most people would call it a job. Mark Murphy offered me a job after I graduated Rutgers College in 2000, effectively paying me the same amount that I got offered from all those you know, on-campus exciting corporate business jobs. 
the cherry on top for me was because Mark Murphy dealt with on open specifically, I had asked if it was okay if I continued to buy and sell singles. And even though I wasn't very good at it, you know, I made a few shekels on the side. And so I was able to take that, you know, career path of not only enjoying what I was doing, but maybe supplement my income a little bit right from the beginning and had that hustle mentality right from the first day setting out of college, uh, which I was able to do. So um, I worked for Mark Murphy for about two years following Rutgers College and a really good friend of mine, uh, and we're still in touch to this day, Rich Albersheim of Albersheim's Autographs, uh, told me about a little-known auction company called Leland's. And Leland's is a company that was in New York, and quote-unquote, they're looking for a card guy. And that card guy happened to be me. And um, they were willing to take a shot at a young, precocious, energetic, absolutely lack of knowledge. Um, I thought I knew a lot, but certainly uh, saw what Josh, may rest in peace, and Hef and the rest of the Leland's team, you know, had to offer not just someone like myself, but to the collecting hobby through the form of auctions and great finds. And so let's just say it was love at first sight for me, leaving Mark Murphy's, which was once again, a niche in just unopened. And it opened all of my doors to vintage sports cards, Babe Ruth flannel jerseys, game used equipment of every shape and size, unopened that I had never seen before in my entire life. Babe Ruth Gowdy cards, which I only thought, you know, existed in the richest of collections. And so it was an unbelievable job for me to get as someone in my early 20s. I'm forever grateful to the Leland's team. Uh, I worked there for approximately four years. And much of those four years, I was, you know, right along Josh's side, who was the founder of Leland's. And we saw the good and bad, you know, meaning like I had to do a lot of the grunt work and stuff to learn. But I was really um, energetic and excited to learn that side of the hobby, but um, even more importantly, discover myself and discover what I, you know, really enjoyed. And, and when I figured out that, you know, there was a world of Mickey Mantles and Tito Six Cy Youngs to not only to be had, but if you did it right, you could build a name for yourself and become a place that people would go to for vintage cards. That is what I was absolutely in love with. And so when I left Leland's, I was already a card nerd, and you know, at that point. I decided to venture off on my own to start a company called Just Collect, which is still around to this day. Check us out on justcollect.com. If you Google, how do I sell my baseball cards, chances are we're going to come up organically, you know, number one, two, or three uh, in the country in terms of appraising your cards and then maybe making an offer and buying your collection. Uh, we generally deal with vintage cards. However, when I started Just Collect, it was, believe it or not, started off as an eBay consignment firm. And the reason being is I've always had this entrepreneur flair to me uh, or within me, if you will. And so when I left Leland's, I didn't just leave Leland's to become a baseball card dealer. I was very hesitant. I did not want to sell baseball cards out of my parents' garage. I wanted to, you know, make something of myself and be a leader and 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 be excited about, you know, the the field that I was choosing to 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 be in for a living. And so when I left Leland's, I started Just Collect with a guy by the name of Scott Greenwald. And he was, you know, a very dear college friend of mine and someone who we've been through a lot together. And we decided to take a shot, starting Just Collect, going after the long tail of consignments, meaning Leland's would only handle cards that would generally sell for $1,000 or more. I couldn't believe how much business we were turning away and how many cards out there were actually less than $1,000. And so Scott Greenwald's experience was with technology. Mine was in the card space, in the card field, both as an expert in understanding uh, you know, the wants of customers and the desires. And so we, we put that all together. And in our first year, I don't remember, but I bet you we did millions of dollars 
in revenue, meaning in sales. And then, you know, from there we grew. Ultimately, we bowed out of that business. I'm trying to um, be concise about this. And the reason why we bowed out and the 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 Probsteins and the PWCCs of the world flourished is um, we thought as we were the first to actually introduce something called Consigner View and put some technology in the hands of folks who never thought they would have the ability to keep track of their eBay consignments very easily. Um, we put that technology in the hands of a lot of folks and we thought just like any other good entrepreneur or business person, that over time we'd be able to raise our rates. Hey, what's up, Chris Coe? Thanks for all your support, bud. Appreciate you tuning in. My brother Merrick is watching, which I'll give him a shout out in a minute. I forgot to mention that uh, I made my brother Merrick come with me when I had my license and there was no navigation system and no you know, Siri and all that. I would drag my brother for countless weekends to be my navigation, trying to find conventions all over the state of New Jersey, uh, New York, and Pennsylvania. And let's just say we got lost a time or two. So we can talk about that in a future episode. But anyway, you know, in regards to starting uh, and trying to flourish in a consignment-based business, you understand that you have to do a lot of sales in order to take that small piece and have that small piece for your company really amount to be anything substantial. And so while we were doing big numbers, while we were excited about growth, something really strange happened in the first few years of our business. We had this technology and we had other people coming to us and saying, hey, Mr. Smith down the street is willing to do a little bit better than, than your rate. I said, yeah, but you know, we have a really big mailing list and we have technology that allows you to keep track of all your stuff real easy. Um, we're a professional outfit. And so most of the time we would win over, but then there started to be some cracks in the pavement, as they say. And so quite frankly, we saw our business affected, whether it be um, not as much business or we had to work hard or harder for the same business. And so to me, it was fairly obvious the writing was on the wall that kudos to the PWCCs and the probe scenes of the world. I know that they, they have their, their positives and their negatives like anything else does in life. But let's be honest, folks, they do a ton of business. And so I have the utmost respect for actually how much business they corral, how much business they fulfill, and they provide uh, a much needed service to the hobby to sell items that are not quite a thousand bucks, right? And of course they handle items that are much more um, expensive than a thousand dollars. But nonetheless, we saw that business really going away for a variety of reasons as I just touched upon. And so what we decided to do is the old 80-20 rule. We were taking 20% um, of our business at just collecting. We were buying and selling. And the other 80%, we were really doing consignments. And we saw we were going to do 10 million and then 50 million. And we had all these visions of grandeur, of course, like many of us do. And we set out to start our very first LLC. And then we realized it just wasn't worth it. So we changed gears. We decided to, over time, but very acutely tried to take that 80-20 and flip-flop. And so we started to buy and sell a lot more. We started to handle consignments a lot less. It almost became more of a boutique consignment service. And the buying and selling, let's just say it became hot and heavy. You know, we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars with auction houses, so on and so forth. And so to kind of bring you to, if you will, the evolvement of Just Collect, in my lifetime as it stands today, August 17th, 2021, I have bought and sold well over $50 million US, for those who are watching internationally, of vintage and some modern baseball cards, basketball, football, and hockey, unopened. Um, and when you think about it, it's, it's really hard to fathom, but I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and so I have a ton of experience to share with you here as your doctor, as the leader of trading card therapy over the coming you know weeks and months and hopefully years to come as I share content um, and I share with you uh, my journey in the baseball card world. I am a professional baseball card treasure hunter by trade, and I'm very proud of it. So to talk about Just Collect and the involvement and then Vintage Breaks was buying and selling. Uh, actually, Scott Greenwell was bought out of the business after consignments had kind of come and gone. 
We were in the EPN, eBay Partner Network business and still a little bit uh, in that business. Uh, we talk about that in the future. And so uh, we actually had something called Card Zapper. We had the PSA set registry email uh, and then PSA told us we couldn't do it anymore. And so we decided instead of getting sued and they didn't take our money, we got out, but we had to hand over to them. All sorts of crazy stuff on our journey, which we'll talk about in future episodes of Trading Card Therapy here every Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can find us on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash justcollect. Obviously, Sam, the time won't be an issue today. I'll have plenty to talk about. But I wanted to mention uh, Vintage Breaks and my journey with uh, Just Collect and how those, those kind of merged. And so some of our longtime employees of Just Collect John Palmeras and Robert Rodriguez, who are still with our company today, were very instrumental in the founding of Vintage Breaks, which we'll talk about in another episode. But in a nutshell, Vintage Breaks is a breaking company and was the very first company to ever offer and bring to the collecting public the ability to have fun and participate in something called a vintage break, meaning the opening of a pack of 1979 Tops football and doing it by the card. I remember people looking at me like, are you nuts? Well, that's how you know you're either going to be really successful or maybe it won't play itself out the way you thought, but the only way to know is to try. I remember going to lunch with John several years ago at this point, probably five-ish years ago, and saying to him, hey, I had this idea from the National. I saw this activity happening in the break pavilion, which is at the National Sports Collectors Convention for the last several years, but they're only doing modern cards. I have this crazy idea to do vintage. This is where I'm at conceptually. What do you think? Can you kind of help me out? That's literally what I said, J5. And needless to say, here we are uh, all these years later with thousands of members uh, of our community. We like to affectionately refer to them as Breakamaniacs. Millions of dollars in business done. I don't know the last count, but we've sold to, at this point, maybe well over two dozen countries uh, around the world, which is really fun uh, because there's obviously a lot of countries that do not have a single card store or they have very few. So we're giving access to many, uh, which I think is super exciting. And so, you know, in terms of who I am, I'm a card nerd. I've been to every National Sports Collectors Convention since 1999. So let that sink in. I've been to every national, good, bad, ugly. Uh, oh, and by the way, my first national was Atlanta. And I just looked up before we hopped on here. It was the worst or the second worst attended ever national. So if I had used that as my first national, then I would have never done anything again because I would have said, hey, you know, this industry is not going anywhere. But I didn't let the money uh, draw me into this industry because certainly there was none uh, early on. It was really my my love and my passion of trying to do something not just then, but for for a lifetime, if you will. Uh, not trying to be over dramatic, but uh, really trying to find my way in the world, like many of us still are, uh, and myself included, uh, on a daily basis. And so, in regards to trading card therapy, this was born out of Leighton's Loft which was a podcast I started under the Vintage Breaks umbrella pre-COVID. Uh, it was actually the Vintage Breaks PSA show for, I think, a couple of years. And when that uh, relationship matured and we moved on, we started uh, Leighton's Loft, which was a combination of the continuation of Vintage Breaks PSA show, as well as you know being affected by COVID, like many of us, of course, not just in the United States, but around the world. And so I started doing that podcast live from my home, The Loft, my fourth bedroom, and that, that was a blast. Uh, we're still doing that to this day. You can find us on Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash vintage breaks. In terms of, you know, myself, I realize that I've gone on now for a little bit of time, but I wanted this first episode for those of you who are going to listen to it and maybe not familiar with either myself 
or just collect or vintage breaks or ever have any dealings with um, me in the hobby. Uh, I wanted to, you know, give some context and perspective is that I'm a lifer. You know, I'm going to be, uh, I think I've started three businesses in the space, uh, just collect vintage breaks um, and now card breaks, which we'll talk about in future episodes. Uh, and I have one or two other uh, projects, i.e., you know, new businesses potentially on the horizon. But I very much start them out of not just a love for the hobby, but also when I think that there's a need. And so in particular, talking about purpose, um, I look at trading card therapy is, uh, other than maybe today's episode where we start a little bit late and we're going to end a little bit late, um, you can tune in to our Vintage Breaks broadcast following this on youtube.com slash Vintage Breaks. Chris Gilmore goes live from 1 to 4 for Vintage Breaks South. Um, on Tuesdays, and of course, you can watch our Vintage Breaks North team taking over at about 4 o'clock Eastern time after that. But we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about all that good stuff in the future. So today's schedule may be a little bit off. But in regards to purpose, this is, in my estimation, to steal a line from J&J, this is our credo. Our credo is I, the founder of Trading Card Therapy, absolutely not only love the hobby, but it's where I've made my livelihood. You know, all kidding aside, some years have been better than others, but I've stuck with it. And I do what I, I would say is a top three job for me. You know, I didn't want to be an astronaut. You know, I did want to play second base for the Yankees. I did want to be a guard for the Celtics. Uh, neither came true. But I absolutely wanted to buy and sell baseball cards at a very high level, dealing with vintage cards in particular, because that's what my love is, not just of the game itself, but the actual cards and the ephemera that comes with it. I mean, things that should be, that should be in the Smithsonian or the Met or other, you know, great institutions like that. And yet we get to handle them on a daily basis. I'm forever grateful for that. And so to find something that I enjoy as thoroughly and as much as as the baseball card hobby, and I realize it means so much more today, you know, that's how I'm going to, you know, continue to pave my way. And so in terms of a couple things I wanted to cover during trading card therapy, I don't have to do an intro every week of myself. So we're going to be talking about topics in the hobby, of course, but I live and I breathe and I, you know what, this stuff all the time, every day, seven days a week. And so I want to share my journey with you. And so what does that mean? For example, when I was bidding in REA auctions, and by the way, congratulations to them and their team on the $6 million man. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it's the T206 Honus Wagner in an SGC3 that just sold for $6.6 $6 million. No, I was not the winner of it, but I did win approximately $72,000 in their auction of material. For those of you who not sure what that means, meaning I won, I spent, I bought about $72,000 of stuff out of the REA auction that concluded on Sunday. And so something I'm, I'm thinking about doing um, and bringing more content to the card industry, the card hobby, the trading card therapy community is doing a live broadcast while I'm bidding in some of these auctions and deploying tens of thousands of dollars. You can see, for example, when I'm an underbidder on a lot and I let it go, like the frustration or the agony on my face, I think it's going to be fun stuff like that. But I also going to be relying on you, the trading card therapy community to please email me direct, late at justcollect.com. If you want to see a particular topic or issue discussed on the show, I'm going to do my very best to cover those types of things. But I'm going to try to share with you my journey uh, and the things that I see from a collector's standpoint, from a dealer's standpoint, from a card nerd standpoint, from an entrepreneur's standpoint. I think that in a 30-minute, granted today's isn't 30 minutes, so please cut me some slack, but in the future, in a 30-minute time frame, there's going to be jam-packed action in a short time frame. And if you're a card nerd like myself, it is going to be must-see YouTube TV. 
So enough about my intro and all that kind of stuff. If you're now watching this later on on YouTube, I'm aware that I've had people tell me I look similar to Vince Vaughn. We can talk about that for a different episode. I am Billy Vaughn when I go out, and at least there's a couple kettle on the rocks involved. That'll make some, those will make for some fun stories in the future. The last couple of things I wanted to cover t- for today, I've seen a lot of content about the National out there, the 2021 edition of it. And I wanted to share with you my two cents about it. And obviously, this is coming from my perspective, which is an owner of a few businesses in the space. A uh, special shout out to Otia Sports and my friend Jason uh, and Mark Zablo for Bleaker Trading. Those are really good buddies of mine who have been instrumental in the growth of Vintage Breaks. And of course, we do lots of stuff with Just Collect together as well. And I would be remiss if I did not remember to mention Darren Ravel, who's been not only a friend, but also um, a great mentor to me when it came or when it comes to producing content and putting yourself out there and being confident and comfortable um, and talking about mental health, which we'll do in future episodes as well. I mean, needless to say, I'm a doctor, of course. When it comes to the national, this is for those who've never been there before. You can go in with one set of expectations, but if you've never been there, it's kind of like going to your first ball game as a kid, professional, your first, you know, football game, you know, or basketball game or baseball game, you know, as a young kid, I mean, you're, you're totally overwhelmed. And, you know, in regards to, you know, the national, I myself this year felt overwhelmed for at least a couple days, I mean, to get my, my legs underneath me and try to focus in terms of what am I trying to accomplish? I also wanted to make sure that I relaxed and allowed the 11 or 12-year-old kid, latent version of myself to enjoy. I thought it was a tremendous event. Much like any other big gathering of tens of thousands of people, there's always room for improvement. In terms of the room for improvement, we'll just say that my number one thing is to make it easier for people to know where different areas are. So if you're looking for breaking, you know where to go. If you're looking for vintage, you know where to go. And I know things are spread out, but we can give people a little bit better of an idea. But then number two, obviously not everyone is eating and drinking the same things. But in general, nothing wrong with promoting a little good health. And I thought there was a severe lack of um, ability to buy either water or like something as simple as an apple or a granola bar. So I thought it would be great if the national could pair up with a local sponsor out there, a supermarket or something of the like that could provide, um, and I'm talking free, so that you know every day there's 5,000 apples, bananas, and bottles of water. Because one of the things that I saw that which was really a shame from, from my standpoint of both, once again, an entrepreneur, a business owner, um, a collector, a dealer, et cetera, at the National, wasn't it really frustrating to see 27 people online at literally 11 different stations like being very flustered as to they're being hangry, they need a drink, they need to hydrate. And you're like, oh my God, every single one of these people wants to buy something other than a bottle of water, other than an apple or a banana or a granola bar. And so I'm just thinking about how much commerce was actually lost at the national because of inefficiencies like that. And so I love if we could see some of those types of things addressed You know, and listen, I know I've heard, well, you got to do this and that. Here's the deal. The National is savage. It's an animal, right? It's an elephant of an undertaking. And so how do you best attack an elephant? By taking one bite at a time. And so you're not going to be able to redo everything at once. And by the way, you got a better idea? Start your own convention. See how easy it is. And let me know how it goes. Maybe we'll sign up. Um, But, you know, all kidding aside, we'll talk about, um, you know, more of that type of stuff in regards to the National, you know, in the future. But I thought in general, the National was unbelievable. It was a record-breaking week for Vintage Breaks. It was a tremendous experience for Just Collect. I'm 
very much looking forward to next year's in Atlantic City, if for no other reason that my family will be able to be around me. My son Crosby, who's six, will be seven at that point. And you bet your bottom dollar he'll be coming to clean display cases and earn a few extra hard-earned honest dollars and then see his daddy at work and hopefully you'll be able to introduce him to some of my friends and fellow hobbyists and such. That's my two cents on the national. Wanted to... uh, course talk about the t206 honus wagner once again congratulations to robert edwards to the consigner of the card scc graded it i do believe that if the card was graded by psa it would have sold for a very similar amount uh, i know that in the marketplace a lot of people feel as though and and they're right they're right in many cases that psa sells for more than sgc i do not think that was the case uh, with this particular honus wagner i believe that it would have sold for basically the same amount but i'm curious please drop in the comments when you're listening to this on audio on apple uh, um, on Spotify, wherever you're going to get your, your audio fix for trading card therapy on a weekly basis, let me know what you think in the contents. Am I nuts? Would PSA have sold for $1.5 million more? So in general, uh, I think it's great for the hobby. I know there's been a lot of talk of this rising tides lift all boats in terms of, hey, does it mean that Honus Wagner cards in general are going to go up across the board? Is the vintage industry going to be going up across the board? Only time will tell in terms of that. I would say that the market has been down a little bit over the last few months prior to today. I feel like the national, at least in my estimation, stabilized a lot of doubts, you know, ambiguity about the marketplace. And I'll tell you, uh, like my buddy Chris Coe and I were chatting about the other day after REA, based on final realized prices and things I was under bidder uh, on in the auction, Heritage ends in a few days as well. It seems like the hobby is very, very healthy. But make sure you do your homework. We'll talk about that plenty in the future. I do want to have a special shout out to Heritage Auctions, to Mike, to Derek, to Lee, uh, and the whole team there for collaborating with us on the epic 1969 Tops basketball wax pack break live at the National. You can check out the footage of that on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash vintage breaks. So um, in terms of the last thing that I wanted to cover for today, I don't feel as though I would be doing my job if I didn't cover sensitive topics. And when I cover sensitive topics here on trading card therapy, if someone or some individual that's from a particular organization that's talked about would like to join me, I'd be happy to talk about that in the future. I purposely elected to do episode number one by myself. I hope you all are enjoying uh, today's content uh, here uh, from the Trading Card Therapy Epicenter Uh, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, just about a mile from Rutgers College. If you are, hit that like button, smash the subscribe button. Uh, We very much appreciate all the love, uh, the support of our Just Collect and Vintage Breaks companies. Our community has been amazing. Uh, And so this is the reason why I feel the purpose for doing trading card therapy is because I can share my firsthand experience as someone who's in and wearing these different hats in this space that we all love so much and try to elicit good discussion, hopefully improvement, uh, where improvement's possible, and of course, um, everything in between. And so recently, I was bidding in uh, a particular auction. And it's not, by the way, before I name the auction, this is not the only auction that this has happened in, okay? Before I name the auction house, I don't want it to be where I bid in this auction and it's happened there, of course. But in recent time, this has happened to me several times with this particular auction, and I certainly hope that it gets better. But I want to explain to people how serious of a problem that I think that it is. And I'm talking in regards to when you're bidding in an auction, such as like the big boys, right? You know, whether it be Golden or REA or Heritage 
or Mile High or Memory Lane or any of those guys. They all run amazing organizations. And obviously, everyone has their day, you know, and their ups and downs in terms of business and, and of course, personal, right? The last, and I, I don't know, because I know there's a, there's a bunch of iterations of different types of auctions with Golden Auctions, but I think it might have been their, their actually their last auction. And it ended, I guess, within the last couple weeks. And there was a snafu. I think it ended on a Saturday and Sunday, but the Sunday portion, which had a lot of the cards that I was bidding in, um, didn't conclude till Monday. Now, you might ask, well, what's the big deal? You had an extra day to bid. It's Monday night, not taking time away from the family. You know, it's not the weekend anymore. Well, I'm going to at least share with you one person's perspective. And I wanted to give folks the comfortability of sharing things that happen in the hobby that you're uncomfortable with. If you'd like to see me discuss it here on Trading Card Therapy, please hit me up direct, Leighton at JustCollect.com, or we're live seven days a week from Vintage Breaks on our YouTube channel. You can drop me a note. And once again, to reiterate, this is not something that's only happened exclusively with Golden Auctions. It's happened, I'm sure, not just in our hobby or our industry, but in other hobbies and industries as well. So I'm only talking about my recent experience. And I don't have my, my, my account pulled up in front of me, but I was bidding in the auction and I noticed a slowdown and I guess it was like a server issue or what have you. And once again, I'm bidding on mainly card stuff on occasion, an item for myself. What happened was effectively the server wasn't processing, you know, the, the bidding properly and effectively they decided to delay, they meaning golden auctions, decided to delay the auction for 24 hours. And at first look at it, at first glance, you might say, well, that's a very logical solution and it's very easy because at least you're gonna give everyone kind of like that same chance, right? For the next 24 hours, you're letting everyone know it's gonna end basically a day later. And of course, in terms of the consigner's view, you know, you wanna get as many bids on your items as you can. But I wanted to share with you, you know, my perspective on what happened and how I think that it's instrumental. Uh, and I know Golden, was bought and they've had huge investment. And I think their new CEO, I don't want to get it wrong. I think it was Ross Foreman sent an email like that night at some point, you know, meaning it was no longer Ken sending emails. It was, it was the, the, the new CEO of the, of the new, you know, golden auctions. And obviously not, a, not an email to me to, you know, a mass email. And so the email came after I'd already been bidding aggressively and actively struggling with the system, thinking like, oh, wow, I guess I'm not going to win stuff. And the issue is I did not place all the bids I would have. And in some cases, I placed extra bids because I thought the auction was ending, therefore revealing my bidding strategy. But I wouldn't reveal my bidding strategy if I knew the auction wasn't ending for 24 hours. So I basically felt as though to come back the next day to bid again, and granted, I understand prices keep going up. I'd have to reacclimate myself with where the current levels of all the items are. I have to keep my fingers crossed that the items would successfully close that night. And I felt as though I've already tipped my hand a little bit in terms of my bidding and my bidding strategy. So I basically just let my bids stand where they, you know, that where they were. Um, I placed a few additional bids and I could check my records, but I believe that I only I only only successfully won two items, like, like a few thousand bucks. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you on our first ever episode of Trading Card Therapy is because I know I'm not the only person affected by it. I know there's other people that are affected by it too. And I've heard some rumors or murmurs of chat about it, but nothing that's, you know, come out and, and, and discussed, hey, maybe me as a individual collector, I'm frustrated with that. 
Or me as a dealer, I'm frustrated with that. And so, you know, I want to talk about it in a constructive way and say, hey, I really appreciated that they try to communicate. I think that uh, in the future, if they can remedy it and there's no more problems, I think it would be great. But I would say that absolutely was not the first time it had happened for me. And so I just figured or felt as myself, if I didn't go back and I wasn't as aggressive, I'm wondering like how many other people weren't as aggressive going back. And so I just really think moving forward, whether it be it's one auction house or another, it's critical you give feedback directly to the organizations so that way they can understand where your pain points are, where your frustration is, so that they can be avoided in the future. And let's be honest, we're all using that word comp these days all over the place, the way that we breathe air, and we're, de- we're depending on these auction, you know, auction prices and auction houses for these prices as like that's what they're worth. But it's not about that auction. It's about free auctions from now. Guys, I do my homework. I spend hours to spend that money in REA, probably much more than that. But, you know, I spent hours in golden auctions to yield only a few thousand bucks of purchases. And um, once again, I knew they were aware of the problem. They sent out an email. But I'm just once again bringing this up so that if they hear it from enough folks, and they being not golden auctions, but industry leaders hear your frustration. Like if you're upset about the national and you too want to see more apples and more fucking granola bars, there's my first curse of the day. Um, like you'll hear on the loft every Wednesday. Well, then you don't just have to hear it on trading card therapy, Write The national hit them, hit them on Instagram, you know, drop a note to them, you know, same thing with an auction house. If you're seeing that they're doing something that you think is happening to others, I encourage you to drop a message uh, to them and contact them and speak up. It will better it for all of us, us being collectors, dealers, investors, hybrid, etc., cetera, uh, and we'll be able to enjoy the space a lot more. So I know we've gone way over uh, today. We had lots to cover in our first episode here of Trading Card Therapy. I really appreciate each and every one of you joining us today. If there's anything in particular you'd like me to discuss for next week's or subsequent episodes, we're going to try to cover as many topics as we can, but that is going to conclude our first episode for today. I hope that you all enjoyed it, that you got some added value out of this, and it made you just a little bit more aware of who I am and what I represent for myself and the little ecosystem we've created here of just collected vintage breaks and all that kind of you know good stuff. So sincerely appreciate everyone joining in, and we'll see you next Tuesday when the doctor's back in at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time right here with Trading Card Therapy.